Section 5 of True Stories About Pets, edited by Jane Gray Swisshelm. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Patrick Henry. Chapter 5. Chippernip by Luthera Whitney. The people of Boston found that the squirrels which were put on their commons a few years ago were the deadly enemies of the birds. So, bright and cunning as they were, they all had to be sacrificed. They are, however, near neighbors in our woods. There's no lack of birds on Skitchewang Mountain, and it is a famous place for squirrels. Whether they ever molest the birds or not, I cannot tell, but the different species quarrel with each other and among themselves. I've often seen a red squirrel chasing a chipmunk to and fro through the woods, up and down trees, over fences, and under brush heaps, almost as rapidly as my eye could follow. And I once saw an old red squirrel carrying off one of her young in her mouth as a cat carries a kitten. She seemed to be fleeing from some enemy. I did not inquire too closely, what, lest it might be one of the rattlesnakes which infests the mountain. A pair of old greys had their nest near the schoolhouse last summer. We used to see them every other day on the fences or on the roof, and, as she was never disturbed, she grew quite tame. But, search as we might, neither teacher nor scholars could ever find her nest. Other squirrels used to come into the schoolyard to pick up bits of bread and cake, which the scholars threw away while eating their dinner. During the autumn, we ate many watermelons, and the squirrels feasted on the seeds. The chipmunks, who were very provident, would fill their cheeks with them and scamper away to their holes. But the others ate them on the spot, taking one seed at a time between their paws, sitting upright, and picking out the kernels with great rapidity. The song says, The squirrel is a pretty bird. He has a bushy tail, etc. But I've seen one whose tail was as bare and more slender than a rat's. He was a very young gray squirrel, with hardly any hair on him, and he had mere depressions instead of eyes. My brother got a pair of them from a nest in a big birch tree on the side of the mountain and proposed raising them. He fed them milk and cream from a teaspoon, but they were awkward and helpless, and one of them died in a few days. The others seemed likely to follow when we called a family council and, in despair, decided to give him to the cat. This was not quite as cruel as it sounds. We had, at the time, a very handsome tortoiseshell cat named Lady Lytton. She was very intelligent, and we had taught her to respect due property in whatever form it might take. She never molested chickens or ducklings, which were sometimes brought into the house, and once she allowed a swallow, who had become unable to fly, to sit a whole week on the edge of the kitchen wood box. She had two little kittens in her warm nest in the shed, and there I carried the poor shivering little squirrel and explained the case fully. Now, Lady Lytton, said I, you must take care of our little chippernip. He's hungry and cold, and he has not any eyes. Do please try to see what you can do for him. Lady Lytton spread her white furry arms and took him in, washed the sour milk from his poor little face, and gave him part of the kitten's supper. From that time, chippernip was provided for. In about three weeks, his eyes opened, and he soon began to run about the shed. Puss was always more anxious about Chip than about the kittens. One night, some wild cats came prowling about the shed. Liddy fought them valiantly and drove them away. The next night, just at dusk, she brought Chip into the sitting room, put him on the lounge, and then went back for her kittens. We thought she was jealous because none of the family had visited her that day, so we played with them a few minutes and carried them back to the shed. She brought them in again directly and continued to do so as we carried them out for some time. At last, despairing of making us understand the desperate state of things, she fled with Chippernip to the chamber and hid him so securely that we could not find him. Neither could he escape from his retreat. Lytton then went back to her kittens and spent the night, evidently understanding that they were in less danger than Chip, for she took him first each time. 
Next morning, as soon as the family had arisen, she went upstairs with the greatest apparent anxiety and brought him, after which we made her bed in a more secure spot. She used sometimes to punish her kitten severely, yet I never knew her to get out of patience with Chip but once. She was lying on the flower stand, where she usually took her daytime naps, and he would pounce upon her from the window sash, the oleander, and every other eminence within several yards. She moved from the flower stand to the rocking chair, and from there to Grandma's easy chair, but none of them were too far away for one of Chip's leaps. He came flying through the air, with his tail, now grown bushy enough, floating like a comet's behind him lighted on her head or her back, bit her ears and her tail, and was away in a twinkling, making ready to repeat the performance. At last, Puss thought forbearance had ceased to be a virtue. She caught him in his next leap, held him with one forepaw, and with the other she cuffed him long and well, then went to finish her nap in Grandma's bed, where, as a great treat, she was sometimes allowed to sleep. At last, Puss thought forbearance had ceased to be a virtue. She caught him in his next leap, held him with one forepaw, and with the other she cuffed him long and well, then went to finish her nap on Grandma's bed, where, as a great treat, she was sometimes allowed to sleep. Chippernip used to have fine frolics with the kittens. What he lacked in strength he made up in activity. He would cry out while they rolled him over and over on the floor and climbed to the highest point within reach, where he panted for breath. But as soon as he regained it, he sprang down upon them, eager to renew the tumble. Chip was great mimic. He imitated the cats in all unusual motions, and once, when Mother was winding yarn, he watched her intently a few minutes, and then, sitting erect, he began to twirl his paws, keeping time with her hands. When she stopped to untangle her skein, he watched to see what she would do next, and when she began winding, he went on twirling his paws and keeping time as before. Chippernip was never very fond of the food prepared for the cat, and one day, when I gave him a piece of sweet apple, he evidently made up his mind that he would never eat any more cat's messes. He ate raw apples after this till one day I gave him a baked one, after which he refused raw apples altogether. Then he ate successfully apple and pumpkin pie, gingerbread, rice and bread pudding, and other things, always refusing all but what was his prime favorite at the time, till the nuts were ripe. My brother brought him some chestnuts one day. This was food fit for the gods, Chip thought. He had his supper of them, and the rest were saved for his breakfast, but alas, his keen sense of smell told him where they were, and he climbed up to the pocket containing them, devoured the whole of them, and went to sleep on the shelves. He paid dearly for the theft, however, for they made him deathly sick, and he spent all the next day lying prone in the notch between the two roofs, scolding and chattering at everyone who came in his sight. Perhaps he learned not to eat so many, but he certainly did not lose his taste for nuts or his inclination to steal them. He always found them where they were and possessed himself of them, and when the rightful owner came, he found only the empty shells. He ate chestnuts mostly, but he would gnaw through a hickory or butternut, and sometimes he would bite an acorn, shell, and cup and kernel in little bits. But I never knew him to eat even a single bite. Hunger would probably have brought him to it, but he was never forced to it. He never damaged the furniture, and he would often spend half an hour gnawing a bit of stick. It was necessary for him to gnaw some hard substance, I suppose, for the teeth of the rodents, to which class the squirrels belong, are constantly growing, and unless worn away will cause serious damage. After Chip considered himself too big to sleep with the kittens, he found several beds which he occupied for a night or two sometimes in the pocket of a coat or dress hanging in one of the bedrooms sometimes in a hat or cap or shawl on the hall table but at last he settled down to the habit of lodging under the counterpane of grandma's bed he always had a frolic out of doors just at sunset after which he climbed up the scarlet runners and went in at the top of the window the upper sash of which was always left open a couple of inches for his accommodation 
He used generally to take his midday naps in someone's pocket. Long naps they were, too, lasting sometimes for hours. No matter how rudely he was jostled, or how noisy the work we engaged in, he was never disturbed. Sometimes we took him out in this way to make a call, but he never liked it, and seldom ran about in a stranger's house, but much preferred to creep back into the pocket, and never felt quite easy till he found himself safe at home. With all his bright and clever ways, I am forced to acknowledge that Chibbernip had a very bad temper. It was no uncommon thing for him to get angry with some member of the family, and hold his wrath for a week. At times, he would be in good temper with no more than one person, to whom he went for all favors. He never asked to go out or in as the cats did, but would take advantage of their cries, and was very angry if the door was shut before he passed through. Strangers he despised, and when there were visitors in the house, he used to spend his time in the top of a very large apple tree overhanging the back door. However anxious we were to show our pet, no amount of coaxing could bring him down. Rarely could the finest nuts tempt him within reach." if our guests spent the night he took his supper at the corn barn of soft pig corn and then ran up the beanstalk to bed if they stayed several days he visited the family in the kitchen where he was less likely to be disturbed one day a neighbor's child came to call i was ironing a dress that had been ripped into small bits chip sat at the board and i spread the pieces over him as i ironed them he would thrust his head out and watch me till i had nearly finished another piece then run out to receive it while it was warm he scolded a little when charlie came in but the fun was too good to lose so we went on charlie enjoyed it very much and could not resist the temptation to try it himself so he spread his little pocket handkerchief over him chip was out of his tent in a twinkling with blazing eyes and bristling tail if his strength had equaled his anger he would have been more dangerous than a bengal tiger he watched charlie intently running up and down on the edge of the board to keep as near him as possible scolding and chattering with rage charlie was going home full of terror of the little fury but i persuaded him to stay and put chip in my pocket where he still kept a lookout from the top for his enemy one bright sunday morning in november chippernip was taking his usual run in the orchard when some lawless hunters came by and as we suppose either caught or shot him for he never came up his ladder of scarlet runners to grandma's bed any more end of section five recording by john patrick henry